You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! back for another episode of the x-man podcast i'm your host doc coil thank you so much for checking out the show it's been quite a week my friends quite a week a lot of ups a lot of downs and in some ways you know it's i'd say one of the more stressful weeks of my life in a in a, in a lot of ways and you know if, if you listen to last week's episode or have been following the metal news You'll know that Bad Will split with our singer, and it's just been very emotional. I, I call it a, a an emotional roller coaster. And there are some days where I feel like I'm I could take on the world and you know, I have so many ideas and oh, let's do this, let's do that. And then some days it's you know, there's a, a piercing anxiety and a I guess that overwhelming dread I think that we can all relate to. And, you know, a lot of it is connected to just some, some really vitriolic comments and people, you know, really who kind of want to see us fail. And I've, I've been making content, you know, whether music or writing and getting criticized on the internet for a long time. So I'm pretty, I have pretty thick skin, but I think it, it hits a little different when it's supposed to be your fans and yeah, it just uh, it's a it's a real palpable thing, you know. So you so I kind of realized at first I thought it was really important to like read that stuff or or be involved, and I was like, you know what, you can't really control that, and you have to just focus on what you can do. So I was like really in it. Now I'm kind of taking a step back, and it's been really really helpful. And I don't know, I've had some there's a kind of mania <laughs> to me sometimes when I'm just really pumped up one day and kind of really feeling the anxiety the other day. And I think anytime you're in that headspace where it's very extreme differences in your emotional state, you have to be really careful because that's that could, that, that could just be dangerous. So I was like, you know what, let me back away a little bit, relax a little bit. And it's been, it's been really helpful, but I think it's important to talk about this stuff and not put on that tough guy veneer of, Man, I got this. Everything's great. And listen, that's I know that's what we do on social media, and that's the part of the the PR game. But for the people listening to this show, you know, I don't, I don't think being not being honest about that is helpful. I think it, it's it's important to say, hey, you know what, this is tough stuff, and you're gonna have good days, you're gonna have bad days. But 
stepping into the unknown, only we can really make it happen. And you do have to believe in yourself. You know, if we're, we're second guessing and we're not 100% believing in what we can do, then yeah, it's not going to work out. But in, in another element of that, I had, had a few people comment, they go, you'll be back to playing bars or you'll be back to your day job. And I'm just like, I've always had a very low to the ground and humble. And I, and I don't, I don't mean that too humble brag. I mean, I literally have always thought this thing would end and that the arenas and the gold records and all that stuff would, was kind of a passing thing. So, and, and, and not as like a doomsayer standpoint, it's just, that's what I've known. And so I've never felt like that's who I was, or that's something I would take for granted. And, you know, and I, and I don't think there's any shame in working a day job or, you know, every guy in this band does for the most part does other things to supplement their income and, and you have to stay agile, you know, and, you know, I like playing bars. <laughs> I mean, I like playing the arenas too, but I, I just wouldn't, I'm okay with however things turn out, you know, because you just have to go through life and trust your gut and no one's guaranteed of anything. And we just have to go take it one step at a time. So we'll see. Uh, in other news, it's the, the final week of, of the Trump presidency and so maybe i can hopefully i can talk a little bit less about politics believe it or not i'd prefer to talk way less about politics in forums that perhaps maybe people are more accustomed to to thinking that i would just be talking about music and, and things like this and but i feel the gravity of the moment when i say the moment i'm literally talking about the last five years or probably the entire existence of this show uh, it felt you, I would feel remiss not to talk about these things. They, they seemed that important and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm just, you know, have my, my head up my own ass, but it seemed like we were seeing things that have never happened before. We're experiencing things that have never experienced for at least in our lifetime, but I would prefer to talk less about politics and focus more on, on, on other things and keep it a lot more light. But you look at look where we are now and you know what's happened in the last four or five years and i mean four thousand people are dying a day i mean the peak we thought was two thousand people a day and even that was like oh my god the, the world's falling and now it's like almost people don't even care uh unemployment's over it's around 10 percent, which is about the highest point it was during the great recession you know people you know extreme poverty is up there's food insecurity people you know people going to food banks everyone hates each other you know i mean there's very much a and i mean based on real identity things culture war stuff politics you know we're we're real the, the, you know the the actual civil war uh physically or not is is something that is kind of existing where if you're these you're with these kind of people you are with the liberals you don't want to hang out with those people and and vice versa and i think that's a real ugly place to be and we're at a place where we cannot all agree on the same facts we don't have a shared reality and to me out of all the problems i've listed and and i think they're pretty bad that's the one i think will be the lasting legacy of this guy is his superpower to be able to get 
you and me and everyone else to distrust things. You know, it, it's like uh, trust is kind of like uh, building and destroying anything, right? Like uh, it could take two months to build a house, but I could burn it down in an hour, right? And trust is kind of like that. It takes a long time to build trust and only takes one little thing to destroy trust. And he, along with a, a kind of giant media apparatus around him and other politicians have kind of piled on to this idea of we have, we have our own reality and we could sit here and, and, and debate that. But I think that's the real thing that we'll be, that we'll be, we'll be dealing with for the next 10, 20 years, how to figure out how to get everyone back on the same page. And, and that's really scary. That's a really scary thing. And you just don't know after what happened at the Capitol, all these people who just feel, they feel like they were screwed over and that the election was stolen. I mean, th these people have been radicalized. And listen, over the summer, a lot of people on the left got radicalized in a different way. And I hate to compare things like apples to apples, but this is a different kind of thing and it's going to manifest itself in a lot of different ways. So we'll just have to, you have to just encounter it as it, as it comes. And like I said, hopefully some of these things will fade to the background and it won't be as much of a, you know, so, so feel like it's of the moment, but turns out when you hire the worst guy in America, <laughs> uh, morally that is, and from an honesty standpoint, it turns out, and and actually just being qualified for the job, it turns out there's going to be a lot of bad outcomes. But I can talk about that stuff all day, but you don't want to hear about that. And, uh, I, you know, let's move on. We have a show sponsor this week that I'm very excited about. It's a band called Survivors of Suicide from Arizona. And we're going to play a track entitled Season of the Witch. <laughs>
So that was Survivors of Suicide with their track Season of the Witch. And I say they, but it's actually just one guy, which is actually really amazing. These one-man bands. I'm jealous of all this talent out there. That was a really cool song. And the guy actually sent me another song called The Baron, which is actually badass. So the, so the band, he told me the EP was out. They, if an EP is supposed to come out called Dream Cemetery, I looked for it. I couldn't find it, but I'm sure it'll be out shortly. And if you go and look up the band on anywhere where you stream music, there's three other tracks, so four total. And the other song is like a little more on the melodic kind of hard rock side, but it was it was really good. He said, pick whatever song. I was like, you know what? X-Men fans, ultimately, they want they want that that hard metal. So I had to play that track. But I thought that was that was really, really good. And they say they derive their influences from all the best heavy hitters in the metal scene and is committed to becoming one of the titans of metal with breakneck riffs, soaring choruses. I love it. And deep lyrics. But I thought that was really cool. If you want to check out the band, please go on over to survivorsofsuicide.bandcamp.com. I say for them, just as, you know, there's a Google situation there because there's people actually might be looking that phrase up because of things in their life. So that's a tough one, but, you know, good luck anyway. But I really appreciate them sponsoring the show. Please go check them out. Check out, support the band. Let them know Doc Coyle and the X-Man sent you. If you'd like to sponsor the show, drop in my DMs on social media or drop me an email at the X-Man podcast at gmail.com. Remember, it's ex. Hit me up or, you know, like I said, if uh, if you have other questions or anything you want to hit me up about, you can also drop me an email over there as well. Okay, so this is, we're done with the sponsor part of the show and we're back to Doc Coyle's favorite songs of his career, or at least the most interesting songs I've worked on or songs that I feel stand out for me and, and songs I think that are worth kind of going back and looking at. And this, you know, like I said, part two, last week it was all God forbid songs, but now it's going to expand out into some of my, my other bands. But the first couple songs are God forbid songs. And we're going to start with a song called the new clear and not nuclear, the new clear. It's a track off of God forbid's album earth's blood and probably the most progressive song or one of the most progressive songs, the band's ever did i mean that whole album is progressive but this one really goes out for it where i'm sure if people heard it they might not even know it's a god forbid song but that's what i kind of like about it i always was attached to the songs that were really pushing the limitations of what the band could do and i brought my brother back to talk about this so let's uh listen to the song and uh, see what dallas had to say the nuclear <laughs> Stretches manipulate 
Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. So uh, (laughs) the last track I wanted to ask you about, which is the one probably I wanted to talk with you about the most 
uh, because it's probably the most unique song the band has ever done is from Earth's Blood, and it's called the, the New Clear. Yeah. And I, you know, this was, and this album, Earth's Blood, for a lot of reasons, you know, a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, it was our last album on Century Media, so we didn't really- I was checked out like a motherfucker. Yeah, I, was, we did, I was completely checked out. We didn't really get the support, and we also took a long time between- previous record and that record so we we probably if we were to put out a year earlier maybe things go differently so so a lot of people and it was also just a shift in the scene the scene yeah it was like deathcore was coming up gent was coming up and so we were kind of like last week's news so i think the record we made a lot of people weren't really receptive to what we were what we were doing and so this song in, in particular again i i'm always gravitated towards towards the the songs that push the boundaries of what can be a God forbid song is. Um, and I, I don't even remember how the song started. In the, I, I, I remember like, I, I wrote some stuff on the, on the, uh, on a demo tape. Like if, if, if you go to like, remember the, the, the new song, I sent you that new song. You said, Oh, I remember this song. Yeah. That song. Well, that demo that I'd have that song. If you listen to before it, the, the, the chord progression, dun, dun, bin, dun, bin, 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 bin. you actually took that and rearranged it because I had it. So if you listen, it's there. So I had the, I had the, uh, I had the melody for it. And I had the chord progression. And then I actually, the, the lyrics for it, I had that. Like, like, like when you rearranged it, I had that too. And then, and then because basically on Earth's Blood, like I didn't really write much shit on Earth's Blood. Like I wrote Gaia and I wrote, um, and uh, about the angels mostly, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, but I had taken like kind of on constitution, I take them. Cause like, to me, like, I think you're like one of the best songwriters ever. Like I thought that then. So like the, the idea for me was like, okay, let's focus our, let's focus where our energies are, are, are like, you know, where our strengths are. Because like me, I, I kind of like, wasn't really like at that like, during like constitution, I kind of like fell out of love with, with playing the guitar, you know, like at that point, like I really wasn't like, I really didn't like, like, wasn't like really writing, writing riffs and shit. And we didn't have like computers to record shit at that time. Like technology hadn't gotten there. So, you know, and, and I usually wrote a lot of my riffs like on the drum machine at the house when we were younger. You know what I mean? Like, I, so like, that's how oh, I started. You, but writing. if you go, if you go even further back though, when God forbid started, it was you and Corey kind of were the chemistry guys. Like you guys would, I, I was talking about like nothing, right? That song, nothing. Like I was like, I swear to God, these dudes wrote that shit in like while I was taking like a break to get like a Mountain Dew or something. I was Seriously? Coming, like you guys wrote the, you guys wrote like the the bulk of the big, at least the beginning of the song, kind of like like that. But you guys had this unspoken thing on the first couple of records, but we would literally go into rehearsal with no riffs. We would literally come up with everything off the- Yeah, yeah I mean, I, yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess it's like that since the beginning. No, you know, like, well, I'm saying no because I mean, wretched project the sickness. We had riffs and stuff. I don't remember. Having no, that, no, that's what I'm saying. We didn't. Yeah. We, came, we yeah, went yeah, yeah. to the room with nothing, or yeah. maybe like an idea, but it wasn't like, if anything, I don't think we got that four track till between till after determination. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, 2000. I mean, it was around 2002, probably. Or something, something. Yeah. So, so it was. Shout out to Tascam. Yeah, shout out to Tascam. <laughs> and uh, so anyway. I think we started out just really coming up with stuff off the dome, but, and even to this day, I'm still like that where I can write really cool riffs at home, but it, when rehearsal, like, uh, I remember I wrote, um, the main riffs of what's the song, uh, 
War of Attrition. I wrote those yeah. like the first, like the first few risks. I pretty much came with that all on the spot. And then in the nuclear, the the whole end part, like I, that main, that kind of 80s sounding riff, that uh, Merciful Fate sounding riff, I wrote that in the room. And then we kind of put the whole arrangement together. But but this song to me. Yo, the nuclear, like like that, that riff. That that fucking way it comes that shit. I mean the way you I mean you arrange most of that shit like man that's like I show people some of the like Earth's Blood the the title track and I, I show them uh the nuclear like 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 the like musically that shit is like that shit is no joke man like like straight up like motherfuckers are like like you you best recognize what the fuck's going on in this bitch right now like straight up don't even fucking try and be because you know and, and Blabbermouth actually gave that shit like gave Earth's Blood like a fucking stellar review that was our our best reviewed album. Pretty yeah. much across. I mean, like it, it is a good album, even though even though we we were on some Opeth Jackery, you know what I'm saying? Well, no, it was, I think if you look at that record, it's a lot of Opeth, it's a lot of Gojira, and it's also a band. So I don't know if you remember this, but we went to go see Enslaved at the Croc Rock while we, and so we were uh, we were listening, we? To, yeah, and we were listening to that Enslaved album a lot, and I feel like that song we were really because bands like Enslaved and bands like Opeth were in a way doing this version of we're going to be extreme, but we're also going to be melodic in a yeah. way that was very different than the American bands, which were doing it like the kill switch way. And we felt that that style had been as was passe and it was very like predictable. And so that whole record was trying to figure out like, how do we keep doing something new while still being the same band? And that was, that was like a hard thing to figure out because in many ways, like I said, I think it went over certain people's heads, but at the same time, if we would have made something that was very similar to the previous record, I think that would have, people would have been bored. So it's like, it would have been lose, 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 you know? Well, you know what's interesting to me is like, like, like that we, like we toured with Opeth on their first tour ever in America, yeah. you know? And, and I think that maybe Opeth wasn't refined. Like, like they, they weren't like the band they are now. So like, I think that we were listening to Opeth, but we weren't necessarily influenced by Opeth because in the live realm, like 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 how we were influenced by Slipknot, like yo, Slipknot was like yo, to watch those motherfuckers every day. That shit was like yo. I mean, like I like got a shout out Slipknot too because if it wasn't for them, Constitution of Treason wouldn't have wouldn't have come out the way it was because they kind of informed us how to get how to get the crowd. Well, then and, machine, the and Machine Head, Machine Head. Oh, and, well, no, yeah, yeah, but I'm saying like as far as us going to write the album, like right there, like because because we ended up writing the album after. You know, like, um, yeah, like, yeah, Machine Head as well. Like, like, just like those experiences and just well, the whole end of the world, that whole breakdown section is basically designed like a Slipknot. Well, I yo, I yo, that that end, I fucking because we were having problems at the end, and I listened. I don't know this this band, Misery Signals. Yeah, yeah, like, but they had a record out, and then they they had this one part, and I went to go back to listen to it now, and I was like, I was like, it's not really that it didn't have the impact, but just maybe like the way, but they had this galloping kind of like this the tempo. So like when I came up that like. That's where it really came from, just like kind of like that whole buildup, you know. Like, and that's and that's where that I kind of informed me because, like, dude, like I, I don't know, like I, I, uh, the breakdowns I love, I just love break. I mean, right now I listen to breakdowns. I just feel like, yo, I'm still with that shit. Like, like slaughter to all that, all that deathcore shit. Like, I prefer that shit to my own music. You know what I'm saying? Like, for, like you know, big DL. What is you know? Saying? I need that thick neck music, man. Like, but yo, the end of that shit was like. You know, like was informed because because I know that we went melodic, you know, like we we became melodic and we we kind of had the stigma of being like the super heavy band, and we didn't really have as much breakdown stuff as we did. 
You know what I mean? So like when we did have them, I wanted them, I wanted that shit to just be like, yo, like, you can't deny that, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, but so just just kind of real quick, just just kind of kind of cap off with this with this song. So the nuclear, like it's kind of I think goes a little bit back to what you were saying about Constitution and Jesse Leach. Like this song felt a little more spiritual than even a lot of the other things, you know, a lot of the other songs, right? Well, yeah, I thought I was in love, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Because the nuclear is like, you know, it's like the nuclear is like nuclear energy. That's the kind of where it's like a double entendre. Yeah. You know well, I mean? It's also kind of a play on like the Scientology word, right? No, I did this had have anything to do with Scientology. It was about Lolita. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, and, but, and then, and also like, dude, I've always been about like, I'm not like, like, you know what I'm saying? Jesus is your friend. Make sure you hang out. I'm not like that. Cause I mean, I don't really know, but like, I mean, I've, I, I believe in what I believe in. And cause the way I look at it, there's no way in hell that like with the, with some of the things that, 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 that I've accomplished just me personally, with some of the things I've been able to do, like, like creatively, like there's no possible way that, that it's me doing it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no possible way. Like, there, I remember, like, with, with, with uh, like, I wanted to, like, basically give away all my publishing for, like, the first two albums because I don't remember writing any of that shit. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it, it just, to me, it's just like, it just was, like, from where it is. And then, I don't know if you watched, you watched Elizabeth Gilbert, her TED Talk. No, but I've, I've, that idea about that, that, you know, who was, I don't forget who was, who was saying it, that like. It's genius comes in, it's genius comes through you and then it leaves you. Yeah, that's what, I, actually, no, I was watching the BG's documentary, which is amazing. You should totally watch it where they, they, and they are really not people don't, who don't know about them, that they're really, their best talent was their songwriting. And uh-huh. they would talk about it that like, yeah, we're like, you're, that you feel like it's not even yours, that you're channeling something else. And, but, but that is a frequency that you have to attune yourself to. And that requires like a certain just thing that not everyone can do. Well, you know, it, the, like the, uh, the Elizabeth Gilbert uh, TED talk, she uh, it's based around, cause like, you know, she talks about uh, Eat, Pray, Love being her. I mean, that, that, that book is like crazy. Like you're never going to get bigger than that book. You know what I mean? Just in general as, as a writer. So she said, how do I, how do I deal with that? And the, basically the Romans like didn't have any like, didn't have suicidal artists. They didn't have people who were like, you know, like, like the, the these morose, like, because they believed that the, that, that creative thing came into them and then left them. So they didn't have any personal attachment to, to that. They, and, they didn't make ego a part of. The yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it comes from something else. And like, I adopted I'm a genius. Because, yeah. 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 I am Warhol. <laughs> I am Disney. <laughs> you ain't got the answer sway. I'm telling you. I am Shakespeare. I'm telling you, I'm Shakespeare. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so like, so like, and I adopt that because at a time in the band, like, like I, because I don't know if I ever told anybody this, but like around, I used to cry uncontrollably around my birthday every single year, um, until Ozfest, until like Ozfest, because because I just felt guilty for having talent. Like, why not someone else? You know what I'm saying? Like, like why me? But why not someone else, right? But then on OzFest, Joey Jordan, because you know how on my birthday, I always take down my MySpace on my birthday. I always take down my uh, Facebook. I don't really want motherfuckers being like, happy birthday, man. It's like, happy, man, happy birthday, man. Fuck you. You know what I'm saying? Shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I'm I pretty really, sick of it, too. Yeah, yeah but, but it's just it's just one of those things. It's, I think it comes from dad. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that whole, like, Irish, like, whatever. But um, on uh, 
on Ozfest, Joey George said, "Hey man, happy birthday, Dallas." I'm like, how the fuck is fucking on my birthday? <laughs> right. And then after that, I was like, it was cool because it felt like because he made me feel like he made me feel like part of like that whole thing, like like being like like that's what I'm here for. That's what that's why I'm here, Chris. You know what I mean? Like that's exactly why I'm here. You know. So like after that, you know, when I had those those just those mental issues and shit, like as far as like you know, just being like like feeling like like these things and then then a lot of the stuff actually happening because like all my dreams came true by the time i was 24 so i was like you know and all that stuff happened like it was crazy but then like sell that script <laughs> yeah I, I i never wanted to sell a script though oh okay. yeah 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 it was never I, I like it was never my my a dream of mine like i never like all the stuff with like the movie stuff that was all happened mentally like calculated like like you know what I mean? Like I never had any inclination. Dude, I didn't realize that people wrote movies until I went went working for a dream and thought that shit was a comedy because Marlon Wayans was on the fucking cover. You know what I'm saying? I thought that shit was a comedy. At the end of it, I'm like, Not you know what I'm saying? Like, it, you know, that's it's crazy. Like I, I didn't realize that was art. So um, yeah, but like all this shit came true. So I don't even know where the fuck I started with this shit. Well, no, I mean, just uh you were you're talking about the the woman who wrote E Pray Love. Well, yeah, yeah well, well her, her whole thing is like the Romans that they, they, the genius comes inside and like comes in, it's like a poem comes to you, you have to like grab it and then put it down and then it leaves you. And I really believe that. Like, I don't take any responsibility for any of the things that I do because I feel that it definitely comes from, from another place. And that goes to the point of like how we write music, like where we get into a room and like, like remember Const uh, uh, on Constitution Treason, we got in this big ass fight about the beginning and in the middle part of fucking Chains of Humanity. Like we were like at each other's throats, and then about like what? We, I don't remember about I don't know. It's just about arrangement. Like maybe me and you were beefing on this bullshit, like whatever. And then you know we're, we're and, and and we're doing it, and it's like and then as soon as we go downstairs after just like like whatever, we go down there, and the first thing that happens is we play the song, and then boom, it goes into the and it would do that shit. It's just like yo, what the fuck is that? Yeah, like it just came. Of, it is a really inspired moment. And one of my yeah, but 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 it came from like one of where we were just like at each other's like throats, and then our guards down. So and it allowed that to happen. Like you know what I mean? Because yo, that shit. When I listen to that shit, that shit is fucking crazy dope. It's like yo, it's like it's it's like and it's great because it's like it's like really like like dude, I I still listen to metal. I have like metal is like where I come from and shit. But like you know that that shit is like to me like that shit's just a like it's just a, a really um. It informs me just how how songwriting is like 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 certain like principles and like how you write songs and stuff like that. Like a lot come from like that like that process of that album because we were so dialed in on writing and we wrote it so quickly and 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 the and the result was 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 really good. Like you know what I mean? Like 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 we didn't have any 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 issue with with that. You know what I mean? Like so like I was so so like really like that. That's what's pretty cool is like just like being able to because I still use all that stuff to this day. I don't when I write music now. I don't ever have anything written, nothing. Like it's, it's like, I use Ableton. So like, that's like my songwriting thing. It's just like how the guitar was or like wow. how the band was, you know what I mean? Like, like we get in the room and shit. And like, cause we were, we always had a hard time writing songs. I think though, you know what I mean? Like we were always like really picky about shit. Well, I, I, I don't think we looked at it in the same way, you know, like, like working with John, for example, now with Bad Wolves and his process is very. To Brooklyn? Yeah. Like he is he's very prolific, right? Like he'll go into the studio and like, I'm going to write a song. And he comes out of the studio with a song, you know, yeah. whereas like us, we would have 
days where we we come up with nothing or we'll have a day where we're nothing that we like or we'll do something and it just dude it's like the thing is funny i remember i found i and it sucks because i i i converted all of our old demo tapes oh you you told about this yeah it's a digital and then i end up losing it but i found this one rehearsal tape and it's like one of the sickest riffs and like group of riffs and like just everything, the way it went, the way, the way it broke down. I'm just like, dude, we were, and literally we forgot we ever even did it. But like, that's how, but it wasn't like we're going there where it wasn't like work, even though it was our job, it wasn't, I don't know. It just felt a little different. Where wait, wait, what, what time period was this? Well, the, I'm sure the riffs I'm talking about were probably from the determination writing. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, dude, like, but, I mean, that shit. But, I don't remember anything. But what I'm saying is, like, we, when we went to rehearsal to write, it was, like I said, it, me- it felt more like we were going to find something, not do something. You know, it's like, well, I hope we come up with something today, right? It was yeah. never like, we're going to write a song today. I don't know. It was never, like, never felt like we were clocking in, even though by the time constitu- Constitution happened, we were we were writing, like, as our jobs. But it's still... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's still just... I mean, yeah, but that was what we are doing, yeah. It's true. You know, and, and I'm not saying one way is better than the other, but there's a reason why we took a few years between certain records, whereas Devil Driver could put a record out every 18 months on the clock, you know? Because... Well, you, but you, you know, what's also different is that, like, our band, like, the makeup and the way our band started, I think, lends to that, too, because... You know, nobody was ever more important than the other. Like, no one was like, you were this, you were that. Like, like, because, like, I'll tell you, like, after quitting the band, I am a pro, I'm prolific songwriter. Like, I've, I've, I write, I write, I can write a song every single day if I want. Like, in three hours, I have like songs. Like, I have some stuff out, right? I wrote that shit in four, three or four hours. Like, it's like, like the, the rock opera I do with Andrew did three or four hours every single song from, from bottom to top because I can program drums and stuff like that. And, that was one of the things I think that might've been one of the, my, one of my frustration points is like not being able to kind of get the ideas out at a young age. Cause when you're young, you don't know how to communicate. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's what it is. You don't know how to communicate certain things. You know what I mean? Well, you're, also, I just different, said, you're also different than me where like me, I, I guess to a certain degree, maybe that I attitude is more of a reflection of my personality, which is that if it's not X, what I believe is a certain standard, then it's just not, it's just not on the table. You know? Well, that's why I say you're one of the best songwriters I've ever seen, just because you, I mean, when we started doing the drum machine stuff, you would arrange things, I mean, and you would have the parts, and they just work. Like, they'd be like, okay, the drum beat's like this, the drum beat's like this, and then you know, I'm in there like, yo, you know what, yeah, that, that's that's exactly how it goes, that's what he's saying, that's how it goes. But then there's some people like, well, I think we should do that, and then I'm like, PC load letter, seriously? <laughs> yeah, well, the thing that's interesting about all that is outside of that situation and being in different situations, I probably have, even though I have probably more ability to write something from top to bottom, I probably have the least amount of confidence in myself because I almost feel like, uh, uh, one, I think the metal style of writing, it's like, there's so many good players and, and creators out there that the bar is just really high. Like if you want to put out a metal song that actually has an impact in the world, you yeah. have to really be pushing something. And, but there has to be a desire really there for it. And I haven't, so whereas opposed to like Bad Wolves, it's like, okay, I'm going to write a Bad Wolves song. Like I'll sit down and like 
kind of conjure that whatever that feeling whatever I think that is and then kind of move on from there and there's also that idea of not being if you're not the main writer in a band you're like there's no guarantee that it'll see light of day so you kind of just like I don't know it just makes you kind of question yourself more whereas are you saying that like now or back then now whereas back then I was without even realizing it I was kind of the arbiter of what was worthy well, yeah, I mean, like, like, definitely during, like, um, you know, like during, I mean, I, I, you know, I think when we, in the, when the break, I think during Earthblood, like, when I checked out, like, you know, I, I really just really was not writing any music. I really wasn't really playing guitar. Like, I was, just, I just wanted to like do the vocals and shit like that. And then, um, and obviously, like, that's something that we played because we would have to play the songs, like, 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 you know, practicing and stuff. But I mean, I think these days, like, I think it's so much easier to. I mean, like, look, with COVID, it's kind of weird because the world has has kind of stopped moving the way it moves normally, right? So, like, like the, the rhythm of, like, whatever it is, is different than it was when everybody, like, like, like the case of is like, I'm, like, thinking about, it, like, every single band is not touring right now. That is, like, unprecedented for life. So, like, what happens to that energy? You know I mean, like, where does it go? So, it's, like, and for me, like, dude, like, I work with, like, I mean, like, right now, like, the way I, the way it is, and being in LA, the reason why I came to LA is because the business is here. Like, you can always, you're always viable. The moment you move out of LA, if you want to be a musician or an artist or whatever, it's different. Like, like, you, you can't. You know, when I spoke to Jada, she's like, "Call me when we get to LA. Call me when we get to LA." And that just means if you're not in LA, you're not, you're not in the business. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Come, I say, you know? here's what you: you come here to make your fortune, and then you take your fortune elsewhere and buy your house. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm never leaving Los Angeles. I'm never leaving this place ever. Like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. Like, I, I, like, I, I never felt normal. I, I never felt like I belonged anywhere until I got to LA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I like it too, man. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in- I mean, I, I like, I mean, I, I, I don't like that shit. I love this shit. You know what I mean, like, cause, like, look, man, I haven't been to the movies since I've been here because what happens on the streets is more entertaining than a two hundred fifty million dollar movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've seen some shit like. Like yo, that shit just happened. First time I was here working in, in um, like in in the uh, film business, it was the daytime. I had my backpack on. I'm walking back back to my sublet. You, yeah, you went there, and I saw some dude behind me. This white dude. I crossed the street. First time ever. I was like, this is a different place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a different different kind of. Uh, I've. It's weird. It's like spent a lot of time in New York. And you, you know, you'd be in New York and you're like, oh, this is kind of a shady street or some shady, but it doesn't feel quite as dangerous. Like you're like, I feel like in LA at any given time, someone could literally just stab me in the neck with like a hypodermic needle just cause. Well, look, look, look like this. We're from New Jersey, a normal place. Thank you, God. Where you're from, stay there. Don't come here. You know what I'm saying? You ain't from here, don't come here. You know what I'm saying? Like that type of shit, right? But like, but we're from a normal place. We have a normal values you know we have a, we have a you know we went we don't we understand how it is to like manners and shit like that but if you think about it when we went to go see movies like pulp fiction right pulp fiction is my favorite movie of all time me too and when, i mean watching that movie at the time i'm like oh man this movie this is so hollywood no that shit's la like you come here you could the gimp could live right next to you yeah you know what i mean well, and, you and guys, that's one thing i realized like, it's, it's the like, same thing crazy. with with uh pt anderson movies because he grew up out here and so like yeah. boogie nights and a lot of his early movies all have that that just like stuff that you wouldn't know like being in the valley right just like yeah. being in Reseda or like yeah. like when 
uh, what's his name gets uh, Don Cheeto, you know, when he's at the donut shop and he gets shot when somebody, somebody gets shot and bloods all over him. It's like, there's like, yeah, One of my ex-girlfriends found $40,000 in the trash. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, and the thing is, that's like some normal shit though. Like, 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 like oh yeah, that happened to me. Like, <laughs> that's funny. You know, and, and so where's the money? Oh yeah. I, 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 I spent like, oh, man, I, just, I swear to God, it's like that, that whole, it's a jump to conclusions, Matt. And you're like, <laughs> that that moment it's like it's just like i can't believe what i'm seeing but you know reality's turned into some crazy shit though man like yeah i mean i you know wow yeah no doubt but that has something to do with songwriting somewhere i guess yeah well listen man like i said it's, it's definitely something i never feel like i've figured out or you write something cool i feel like it always feels like you got lucky you know like for me it's like never like i i have this i i got this it always feels like where did that come from? Or just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's something you want to actually, this is another thing about LA is there's, there's so many talented oh, man. songwriters out here. So just, it's cream of the crop right here. Yeah. So you, you just understand that the bar is so high. Yeah. And, but that's why you're here though. Like, like, like yeah. the reason why you're, I mean, like that's the, the way, I mean, I, I kind of have an opposite feeling for that. Like the way I feel like, like, like me, I, I'm surprised if I don't come. Like I sit down because the reason why I decided to work in music and not film. So I came. Remember, I came here for film. Me and Andrew had a, a, a show that got caught up some steam and reached his Kickstarter goal. So I came out here for that, and I did the film thing. And I realized the film, I fucking hate film. Like I don't not, I do not like film at all. Like it's like my least favorite thing. The one thing about coming here, I learned that like that film is not as creative as I thought it was, but. With music, I decided to make music because in five minutes I can have something. You know what I mean? That, but with in movies, you could do something for two years and then they could take it away from you. You yeah, know, you, you need like, to have I'm a not, different, different kind of uh, patience and and willingness to take your kind of hands off the wheel. Yeah, and and I'm just and for me, like like with the songwriting and stuff, and like and now like I produce some, like everything on the computer, like and stuff like that. Like I I sit down and I'm just like, man, I know that I'm gonna make. I know that I that if I if I come back with something that's not good, like that that's what kind of puts a disappointment, which doesn't happen very often. But like, I could sit down and like write something and like, and I can always find find I could always find the the the, the best parts of it. Like, and you know, the, my thing is I just don't really do many vocals. Like, I feel like I have nothing to say really. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what kind of sucks because most people like people pay attention differently when there's lyrics, you know, on music. You know what I mean? Because I think a lot of people need to be need 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 kind of help or some shit. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. it got rid of was a little different. You know, like it was weird because when I was writing music, I got letters from people specifically about how I saved their lives. But I'm like, how do they know that I'm writing the music though, or the lyrics? How do they know that? You know, it's pretty crazy. Well, I was listening to this podcast uh, called Metalology, and they they did an episode about uh, God forbid, and they were. It was funny because they were almost talking about the vocals like Byron did all the vocals. And I'm like, do these guys know that everyone kind of chipped in or maybe they did. I, I I couldn't really tell, but I don't know. I don't know how people. I, you know. I don't, I don't think they know. I don't think they know. I mean, and, and really it's it, it like, and in the end, like it kind of doesn't really matter though, because like once you release a song, it's not yours anymore. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't belong to you. That was Dallas Coyle, my brother of God forbid, with his second appearance on the X-Men. 
had to get all that in there, which is part of the big reason why I split the episode into two parts. But I hope you enjoyed Dallas on there. I got a lot of amazing response on having Dallas and the other guys on the show. And the next song I'm going to talk about, I was supposed to get John, a.k.a. Beaker, the bass player from God Forbid, on the show. But he could we could not work out the schedule. So giant shout out to Beak Dog. Love you, brother. Miss you. And uh, but yeah, this this song in, in in some ways it's appropriate that I guess I'm I'm speaking about it by myself because it's the only song to this day where I wrote all the music and all the lyrics, and I ended up doing all the melodic vocals because this was in Dallas was out of the band, and it's the it's the last God forbid album entitled Equilibrium. It's a song called Move On. Check it out. Given to you, huh? But the 
that was Move On from Equilibrium, God Forbid's last album, I guess our, our swan song, unless another one ever, ever happens. And I guess that song, I, I would put it in the kind of maybe unheralded or, you know, I guess deep cut class where it was, I think, track eight or nine or on, on the album. The album had 13 tracks. And I think some of the influence is pretty obvious. There's a lot of machine head kind of vibe in, in there. And just that that whole album was a, was a giant struggle for me because essentially I was going through, you know, we're talking around 2011 going into, into 2012, but we probably started working on the album in 2010. And I was going through some kind of third life crisis and dealing with a crazy breakup situation. And so those lyrics were really about trying to deal with getting through that period of time. And it's probably the only period of my life where I had a breakup situation where it just wouldn't let go. It wouldn't shake off. And even though I think there was, if I wanted to, I could you know, put blame elsewhere. I think it had a lot more to do with where I was at. So those those lyrics were almost a call to arms to myself to get past something. And, and you sometimes that's the only thing you can do. You know, if you want to save yourself, you have to move on in a, in a real concerted and mindful way. So that's that. That's what the kind of the and I and listening back to it, it it definitely brings me back to to that time. There's one thing that happens in the the bridge of the song, where it's the only time where the song goes like a major key, and it kind of gets hopeful, and it's it's and then there's certain lyrical differences between the first verse and and and, and second second uh, verse, where because the song is basically structured like bookends. And that's how the, uh, the the verses go. But like the first verse goes down the, the drain, I wonder or wander. And then second verse down the, the drain, I conquer. And so there's like little things like that about here's where I'm at and it sucks and it's terrible and I'm trying to get through it. And then the resolution is all about how you've kind of gotten through that. So that's something that I, that I really I really think about that. And I really pl- proud of the guitar solo on, on, on that. Um, I think really one of the cooler guitar solos I did. I think Byron sounds awesome. And then one correction, he did write the lyrics in the intro and maybe some of the in-between stuff. So he did contribute some lyrics. So, I, so technically, I guess I didn't write the entire song. Sorry, sorry, guys. And I, you know, I think Corey and and Beaker really really killed it uh, with their performances on, on that song. And it's uh, I think this happens sometimes in bands later in their career where some songs that kind of people just maybe didn't, there might be fans of the band from earlier in our career might not even know that song at all. So maybe they're just hearing it, hearing it now, but it was, it was one I always liked. And I, sometimes I can't tell if I really love the song because I'm so close to it or because it's that good. <laughs> and part of it is it's probably, uh, probably because I'm so attached to it and, and, when you're that close to it, there's no way to really be objective, and 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 you can't, and that and, and that's okay. But I think it's also kind of cool to be proud of your work and and hold something kind of kind of close to you. So I, I just wanted to kind of share share that with 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 all all of you guys. So 
we have two more songs and two more guests. It's a, you know, so this, this episode might get a little long, but please, you know, stay with me, stay with, stay with me on the journey. So the next part of this episode, Doc's favorite songs, we, we switch over to my band, other band, Vegas Nerve. It's a band I started actually before I left, God forbid, and before I moved to LA, but was something I, you know, I guess you call it a, a, a passion project. And it was really stylistically, a lot of the issues I was having with God forbid at the time was being feeling restricted by metal and heavy, like the heavier sides of metal as a, as a genre, not feeling like I was able to really express myself. And I linked up with a singer, um, but the time was going by the name Ravi now as a, his professional name is Sterling R. Jackson, but you know, I think he has one of the great voices, you know, rock voices I've, I've heard and, and really has something to say as, as well. And this, this song is from our EP entitled Visceral, which came out in 2016. And it's a song called So Very Divine. And it's weird because I think about it. I don't know if it's technically my favorite song, but there, it is the song that I, I think impacts me the most from a compositional standpoint and a lyrical standpoint. And, and, you know, we, me and Sterling get, get into it, uh, in our, in our talk, but I just think there's, there's something about this recording that is extremely special and I think you'll enjoy it. So check out this Vegas nerve track entitled so very divine. Yes. 
choices that we make You look so divine I sleep on a metal grave Until it designed Like a bridge that gave way Enough left behind Where evolution's now decay Doesn't seem so divine More like an experiment to me We certainly try Comic circles recreate Ooh. Mr. Sterling R. Jackson, welcome to uh, this little special edition of, of the podcast, Doc Cole's favorite songs. And it's like, it's funny, it's not as much favorite songs as it is kind of most meaningful songs. I don't know. I don't even know how to really art, 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 articulate it. But uh, the song I wanted to bring you on to talk about was the Vegas Nerve song, "So Very Divine." There's just something special about that track, where it's not like if I was to show someone a song by the band, it probably wouldn't be the first one. Like it's not like the one that's going to grab you the quickest or have the biggest hook or kind of anything like that. But there's something. There's a level of depth to this track that seems to stand out from the rest of the album or EP. Um, I don't know what, what are your kind of initial thoughts or that you have about, about kind of developing the track or what do you think about it even now in hindsight? Well, I just listened to it again and I haven't heard it in man, a long time. So there were parts that I, there are parts that I actually forgot. And, um, there's some emotional depth to it that might not have been translated in the other songs quite as much, even though I would have hoped they would have been, but, um, yeah, some of the parts got me just listening to it again. I was like, damn, got me. And um, uh, yeah, man, there's a lot I could say about it, uh, but it depends. I'll, I'll kind of let you go on first about your initial thoughts because mine are all based on lyrics and where I was and how I was feeling deep down inside. Well, so the genesis of the track is really bonkers because, so I had a band that never had a name with Tommy, who was the singer of Bad Wolves uh, before you and I met. And this track, there was a originally the song was more like a metal song and the verse i might have probably even showed you the original version it had the verse almost sounded like avenge sevenfold or something and i kind of knew even after showing it to you that it probably in its that construction it, it wouldn't work with this band because we were going for something really differently so somehow i did i think like an acoustic version of it and and so what ended up ultimately be, being the uh the chorus section was this part that i came with almost like as like a means to an end to like oh if i'm gonna do the song acoustic let me kind of come up with something that kind of conjures the same progression i guess that the original verse did i don't know it was really strange how it kind of came out because it, it went to some of the same chords and then when you recorded to it you completely inversed the parts. Yeah. So what I thought was the chorus, you made the verse and vice versa. So the reason the song, it's by far the most progressive track on the EP. And part of the way it reason it became that way is because all there were these transition parts that were just weren't supposed <laughs> to be what they were. It was like thing like a, a post chorus became a pre chorus, a pre chorus became a post chorus. And it just, so it made this very like, uh, unorthodox structure yeah yeah i thought that this was the track that we were working on that was like that and then i was like 
remembering back in my head and I was like, man, it must not have been that track because this sounds pretty, you know, I can't kind of, I can't hear it the other way. I can't hear it the way that <laughs> the inverse of it. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, it was completely, completely different, but I think in many ways, that's kind of the beauty of, of songwriting in that, you know, it was something where I had a pretty developed version of something, but through the process, it forces you to be open-minded and not be too attached to order or like, oh, I think the song is this and sometimes just let it go where it needs to go. And I think that's just so much more special. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, like I said, this, the track came together in a really special way. I can't remember when we started working together, if it was, you know, the second, third or fourth track we were working on, you know, the first one that we ever did was, was pull me out. And that was the first thing he sent me. And then I was immediately like, Oh my God, this is great. And check out what this guy sent me and all this. And I was super stoked on it. But, uh, but yeah, I can't remember where this one was in terms of the order. And, um, all, like I said, all I know when I look back, which is pretty long ago now was where I was and, you know, kind of putting myself in that headspace again of what I was thinking about. I can, I can kind of do that for you. So, yeah. So, so the lyrics to me, it was probably out of all the songs on the EP, the lyrics stand out to me the most because from what I gather, it sounds like some kind of empathic understanding or attempt to understand being homeless. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, sort of. Um, What's funny is that I think they were my least favorite lyrics because every time I'm just more blatantly honest and not metaphoric, I get weirded out and embarrassed. Like if I just say what I want to say, I'm kind of just like, and I feel stupid. And then a lot of people told me that they were like, yeah, man, I like the homeless guy song. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah. I, because I think, I think that it's that type of lyric writing is so much of a better tactic for storytelling right? Yeah. Like if you listen to a country song or a hip hop song, those are great conduits for st storytelling because they're, they're not being metaphorical. They're like, I was on the street selling crack. <laughs> My dog yeah. died today. And I had <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, yeah, so I think people can, uh, metaphors are great because people can kind of place whatever they want on it. And that has a really good effect, but I think it's almost harder to connect sometimes that way. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently that's what happened with this track. So, um, yeah, without getting too superfluous, uh, I'll just say uh, I was living in Philadelphia. I'm somebody that didn't grow up in a city. I'm not a big fan of cities, but we were kind of me and uh, my ex-wife at the time were kind of uh, had to move to the city and we were staying in a, in a poor neighborhood that we didn't know was going to be a poor neighborhood and people were not fans of us being there. And, um, just getting used to the city or trying to get used to it and seeing people like that kind of for the first time and knowing that I had my problems and health problems and, you know, everything else that was going on, trying to feel bad about myself, but then seeing people like that, you're like, shit, man. You know, it kind of, is just the same typical cliche thing of like, well, you know, there's people starving in Ethiopia, you know, that kind of thing. But on a, obviously a different or deeper level and, and just talking about myself. So yeah, it was kind of seeing those people and, and uh, there was the battle between the spirituality aspects of it, which is the whole divine thing in the first place. That's a little bit of a play on George Carlin's take on heaven and, you know, the afterlife and things and him talking about divine planning. If you've ever heard him talk about that, he talks about seeing the world 
and kind of looking around seeing everything all fucked up and then being like this doesn't seem like divine planning to me it seems more like human planning hmm. and uh i i kind of i kind of agree with that in some ways but obviously i've changed since i've written the song in different ways too so anyway yeah that's what the divine thing is, is talking about and that's what i'm playing on about just seeing everything and having a negative perspective and seeing everything all fucked up and then this doesn't seem like we this doesn't seem like a plan and this doesn't seem like us as individuals made a plan or a contract and then came down here and we're acting out this fate or this godly special kind of thing. It seems more like everybody's all fucked up, man. So yeah, that's, it's kind of the take on the lyrics there. And you can definitely hear that at the end when I just start rattling off more and more things about like, doesn't seem like that to me. seems more like this. And yeah. yeah. Well, so another kind of nugget about the song I think is, is interesting or just amazing is so we, we had a fraught recording experience with the first studio we went to to track this. And uh, basically there was a lot of technical problems and we had to we had to kind of abandon our plan to the way we were going to record. Uh, but we did track everything live as a band. And that was the kind of idea to try and like track live and then maybe fix some things up, but keep it pretty organic, which I know in today's day and age is super rare. And because of some of the tonal issues and, and, and some stuff, we weren't really able to complete that. But this song, all the basic rhythm tracks are from the live recordings. I know there's their comped and stuff. Uh, and you did that. Thank, thank the Lord uh, did the editing on that. But, but, I just think that's amazing. It's it's cool in this day and age to have something that just feels a little bit magical. And and I remember because of the end of the song, uh, where we basically do this like ring out thing, and then and I I do like a kind of a guitar melody, and you sing on top of it. You actually sang it in the studio with us, just so we could get the part and make sure that everything kind of li lined up. And I remember just being like, you know every time that's that part the end of that song where you're singing uh with just the lyrics you wrote and the harmony the vocal harmony it's my favorite part of the rec of the record i get goosebumps every time I, I listen to it i loved uh doing it live because me and you would harmonize and it was yeah, something yeah. like it was weird because this song is the most ballad-esque song on the record not that there's a ballad on the record but for some reason this song would go over really well live like it was yeah. it's kind of counterintuitive that a song the kind of this it's a little more subdued for the for the most part but i think because of the lyrics and the way it's presented it's just people could connect to it in a, in a yeah in a very uh you know uh, tangible way palpable way uh, yeah but yeah i mean any, any other thoughts yeah i mean i just i remember every time we were singing that at the end um live and i remember every time just hoping and praying to god that that the lyrics just came to me because in those moments you can't just be like what's the next lyric you just got to be like, and there it is and there's the next lyric and um and every time thank god it did but uh yeah, really it just has such a, oh thank you yeah it just has such a dismal sad feeling it just feels like such an oh well i think at the end where you just kind of keep landing and drifting off more and just kind of be like oh well i don't know do you, know, do you know how that came about? So we basically added an extra group of lines at the end on the ring yeah. out, but I, it was completely because I wanted to rip off this band Glassjaw, who had a song called <laughs> One Eight Becomes Two Zeros. And I was like, we should, 
So that was that. So you basically your vocal part went over the guitar melody, and then I was like, "Yo, can you write something so it so it like doubles up?" And and he did it. it was it was sick. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. I knew that. I just kind of had more things that I kept wanting to say, whether it just be me playing with my own ego and and trying to come up with more cool shit to say that sounded deep, or uh, or whether I just had more stuff I wanted to keep kind of driving the point home. But uh, but yeah. I don't know, man. That was a, it was a fun song. I think it does have an organic feeling to it still. And it is fun to look back and kind of know that we were able to capture some of that, even though the studio experience, my first initial reaction when I look back is like, Oh God, that sucked. I remember trying to record vocals in that studio and all the time it took and all the effort and everything else. And then it was finally like, it's your turn. And then we got everything set up. And then the console, this big ass console was just so old that every time they were going to punch me in for something and, and I kept kind of getting comfortable, it would take like 10 seconds to even get the click track to click on. And I got so frustrated. I was like, no, nope, fuck this. I can't do this. Cause you would sit there and you'd be like, Oh, just punch me in. And just silence for like 10 seconds straight. They weren't like, Oh yeah, it's coming or anything. They were just like, just silence. And you're trying to be emotionally connected to the material. And then it was like, I can't, I can't do this. By the way, I, I got to be able to, you know. This is a rite of passage, though, because when, God forbid, we did our first, we went to the studio to do, like, our first real demo. We had done some demos under different band names that were pretty shitty, but it was, like, our first time doing, as God forbid, doing our demo. And we, like, set everything up. We're going through the first track, and we're, like, and it's sounding sick. Like, it's in our ears. Like, and we're, like, we're playing live. We're, like, man, we're killing it. It's going to be amazing. And then something went wrong with the board or whatever, and they just had to, we just had to, like, scrap the whole thing, and we had to come back, like, you know, a month later or something, but it was, I feel like anytime you're starting a new band, it's, it's these, these are the trials that, uh, that make you, make you who you are, by the way. So actually I remember the point I was going to make about, so I remember doing a, well, an acoustic version, but then I did a demo or maybe even the, the first demo. I can't, I'm like, I have to go back in my, my demos, but I had, you know, some layering and harmonies and things. And because of the way we did it, where it was basically just like Mike doing his thing and me doing my thing, and not a lot of overdubs it actually this is a, this this working on this record was a really interesting experience because it, it made me realize how oh yeah you can have a demo where you like you do it how you want it but then you actually learn more about the songs when you get in a room and because yeah. we had such great chemistry it's like yeah me and you could have literally just made this the songs on our own and not even formed a band but forming the band just allowed everything to come alive, come to life by almost deconstructing things a little bit more and almost just le- just giving everything a little more room. And it was just a very informative about how you don't, ha- everything doesn't have to be like super layered or super, I don't know. It's just, a, I, in, a, in, a, in a sense, it's a bit of a throwback, probably it's like the nineties and the ways to make records where it was just, a bit more organic and uh and yeah it was just there's just cool things in there like even like a lot of the stuff you did like the the, the piano parts in the verse like you do this little like roll thing and it's just i don't know just and like the little synth thing you're doing in the, in the beginning that's like following i don't know just every everything there just seems right you know yeah well with what you're talking about with other ears listening to things and kind of putting it together like that and deconstructing it man I'm building original music here by myself again. And uh, it's funny that with that process, the only way I kind of get that experience as a person writing stuff by myself is by 
writing something and then going away from it and then it'll play in my head and then coming back to it and then going away from it and coming back. And then it kind of keeps giving me that refreshed uh, sound and, and kind of hearing it from another perspective. But when you have that many ears listening to it at the same time, it's, it's kind of like some of the kinks and some of the, just the shit falls away because more people are up on it and listening to it. And they're like, Oh yeah, that one part was slow. And I sped that, or I kind of did that. And it just, just kind of helps piece it together faster, definitely faster than putting it together by yourself. That perspective is just great to have people in the room that are all like, is this good? Yeah, man, this is good. Yeah. I feel good about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just, I just love seeing something like that come to life over a long period of time. Uh, and obviously there's, there's times when it's better to not get, you know, they say paralysis through analysis or, I, yeah. I've definitely worked on records where I feel like things have been overbaked. Like you, yeah. too much time made you kind of overthink things or over overdevelop things. But this is a case where really allowing it to simmer and have other people get their hands on it. It the ultimate the end product ended up being really cool, and I'm I'm just really glad we got to get that that session. Like I said, it's probably my favorite thing you've done with the band as a vocalist too. So. Cool, man. Thank you. Yeah, like I said, I just listened to it again here uh, not that long ago and um, just remembering all the parts and the, the notes and the high parts that I was singing, everything. It's, uh, it was really crazy to kind of go down that road. And uh, yeah, I think I think I feel better about the lyrics now. And um, I'm trying to have more of an approach with everything I'm doing now where I'm just being more direct and blunt. But um, it can be hard when there's so many great lyricists out there that seem to paint these great metaphorical pictures and stuff. It can be kind of hard sometimes to find your voice and not want to just reach for the clever thing or reach for the clever word that feels like it describes how you feel and all that instead of just saying <laughs> blatantly what you want. Sometimes that feels like you're just attacking it and, and it's just so on the nose that you're just like, I don't know. Yeah, like you mentioned, you're not leaving people enough room to interpret it. But I think right now in today's climate, especially with music, people kind of need that. They just need to be told verbatim, here it is. and and then they kind of feel that way because they're i don't know the world doesn't seem to be searching for um for mystery they want to turn right to their netflix show and be like i want to watch this and i want to watch it right now and i want to watch three episodes and you know i want to see these actors right now you know and everything's very much completely happening right now does that make any sense to you yeah no i it it, it, it totally does and that's the kind of you know mean I've written lyrics, um, but I would never, and I've had moments where I'm like, damn, I kind of, I kind of nailed that. And other times I'm like, what the, the hell was I doing? <laughs> uh, so, which is, which is why it's good to have a, sometimes whether it's a producer or, you know, a fellow bandmates you're writing with kind of go through that editing process. But I think you have a talent for it. So, you know, you don't, Thanks, man. you don't need, you don't need, need me to tell you. Yeah. I know that when you were sending me a lot of times when we work on stuff, it always helped to get an acoustic track because the stuff you sent always was pretty polished and pretty tight. And sometimes it felt like I was trying to crowbar myself into it. I've definitely had yeah. more heavy music and more metal type music sent to me. And sometimes it just, it just felt insurmountable. Like it just felt like I can't, I can't get myself into this. And then I would yeah. send it back and kind of be on the fence. And then somebody might like something or what, but fucking if it's stripped down, it just feels like you're making such a better song when it's great 
as stripped down and then it just kind of builds from that then you kind of know if you're screwing it up and you're making it worse you know you can kind of yeah. back up and just be like what well, actually it sounded better before so yeah it's so a great yeah, that always helped it's a great yeah that's a, but same thing with like uh so very divine like if we didn't deconstruct it it wouldn't yeah. like that whole the kind of more acoustic type uh, uh chorus section would never have existed but it was yeah. like i said it was a it was a act of necessity for the yeah for the track so and that was so illuminating to me of like writing of like because then it broke me out of that paradigm of like of a metal writer of like well, this is the song and then you just and and or even the idea of thinking uh every part has to be kind of interpreted by through the lens of a guitar or a distorted guitar um yeah. and just breaking that like oh no, no no you can you can have a part but the part is just a part and it could be interpreted 50 different ways yeah like a piano or a electronic thing or whatever just just that it kind of just like breaks that uh rigidity 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 another thing i, I realized and, and you got to talk about more songs but another thing i realized about myself recently was um by accident did you ever hear of gaia before it's a network channel thing that has a bunch of spiritual documentaries and shit like that not to get too weird on you but i found out that I'm somebody that's considered to be highly sensitive, a highly sensitive person. It's actually something that 15 to 20% of the population has. Hmm. And it put a whole bunch a of my life into... Yeah, it's called highly sensitive persons. It's called HSP. All right, like... Um, <laughs> no. Alanis Morissette was in the documentary. She apparently has it and her son has it. And, uh, and uh, it just was really illuminating for me to find out probably why I felt so alienated a lot of times and why I process things so heavily and, uh, and things. And this is, this song is a ab absolute part of that. It's, it's being ultra aware all the time and processing things on too many levels at once. And uh, obviously that can be a gift and it can be a terrible thing as well, because it, it depends on where your head is. You know, I, I think space. a lot of, I think a lot of creatives, artists, actors, you know, like where, I remember I was watching this documentary about the, I forget the name of the actor, but he's the kid who played the lead in E.T. And part of the reason why he won the role uh, was because like in his uh, auditions, he was like crying. Like it was, Oh yeah. he was like really in the moment. And you can tell with like when they interview him today, he's still the same way. He's just this kind of lightning rod for emotion. Right. Yeah. And it, can be a real gift as an actor to be able to tap into that and be on that frequency, or it can be a real gift as a songwriter when you're able to like really be this kind of open raw uh, thing, but it can, but it can, of course can have all these downsides because you're kind of like, Oh yeah, it's great for art. But then once put in the context of just a normal functioning world, then you're <laughs> kind of out there like exposed. Yeah, man yeah and that's another reason why the song came to uh, fruition because it's it's about that exposure and just you know feeling that city life and all those things around you and not being able to to take it in and not being able to process it well and then putting yourself up against other people that you're seeing and just ugh. yeah yeah and, uh, i think yeah. ahead, some of that some of that got captured in the song definitely cool thing too about the song not to switch gears is it's funny when you talk about the acoustic it does feel kind of like an acoustic song that just has a little bit of grit on it that kind of is well there are acoustics little... there are acoustics yeah. in the chorus section so just on the strumming yeah. part 
but that, those are but they're an overdub um yeah. and another thing we did with this song that was a little different was we me and mike both mike and i excuse me use <laughs> uh, yeah. and so it has a very kind of you know a strat has a very particular you know single coil sound and and me i was i'm sure he was doing this too but i was oscillating a lot riding my volume knob to get grit more where i wanted and clean where i wanted and also riding uh just my my knob between pickups you know because some parts i wanted a little more gritty and some parts i want a little more smooth and and that's something and really and that was an interesting thing about recording it live was it wasn't just about playing the parts it was like getting the energy yeah just like okay i've got to bring my volume down a little bit on this part or switch to this pickup on this part and go to, you know, and I got a bunch of effects in me and I'm literally like toe tapping the entire time. It's a real uh, choreography really. Yeah. Of, and, and it's, and I, and, I, and I love that just having the instrumentation be this kind of living, breathing thing that you could never kind of repeat that same performance ever again. You were very specific about that song in the uh, in the studio, and I remember how you kept talking about trying to get the energy of it to increase more and more as we yeah. went along. You wanted it to kind of, even like the first kind of chorus, you kind of wanted it to just lightly kind of groove, and then you wanted it to keep building and kind of getting progressively heavier and heavier. And uh, yeah, once again, I think we kind of achieved that. I'd have to listen to it more times because I don't even remember anymore. Well, a lot of that, when I... When I kind of get on the uh vibes like that it's not because i'm some great genius who has a um a vision per se it was just i just kind of notice things that are happening naturally right because you you, yeah, get, yeah. Boom, you start playing you're like man this song kind of it starts slow and and quiet and gets you know by the near the end of the song it kind of reaches this big heavy apex that you don't really see coming within kind of with reflection of the whole of the whole song so it's the same of like well let's let's use that let's let's make that part of the performance of something you know some of my favorite songs ever are songs that kind of build to some big payoff whether like you know where the streets have no names for example is one of my favorite songs and that's yeah. five, that song's five chords so all the dynamics is in the playing and and introduction of instrumentation and the way everything kind of happens. And, and I think that there's a, or, you know, Creep, Creep, I think was a a big, uh, Radiohead's Creep was a big influence on the song too, because the last chorus, this is another you know little industry trick of like stealing. It's not, you're not stealing really parts, but you're just stealing ideas where the last chorus of the song is a quiet chorus, which yeah. is happens in Creep. So that's like another, another little, 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 little thievery <laughs> Better be careful, well. man. You can't keep telling people you're stealing shit no no i think but i think that's the cool thing to, to borrow or steal of is, course. is like concepts not yeah. like hey i'm gonna steal your chord progression but i'm gonna i'm gonna borrow songwriting little like oh that that that's just a cool presentation because i think it's so easy to paint by numbers and do a very standard Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, solo. Yeah. Ever. Um, so try and find ways to take traditional structures and then put little spins on them. And you kind of have to be a student of history uh, to try and do that to make it interesting for 
someone like me, I think, and I think it's being a musician, you tend to need a little more to, to keep you invested in something kind of artistically. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, speaking of the crescendo and building up to that, you know, uh, listening to the song again and having, 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 have it not heard it in a while. I, uh, I completely forgot about the I don't care part, how heavy that was. And then it came rushing back to me of like what that felt like on stage to just be screaming, I don't care uh, in people's faces. And uh, I don't know what to say about it necessarily. I mean, I, I know there's such a dichotomy emotionally with when you walk past somebody like that and all of us to an extent, if we're not sociopaths, feel like a pain and feel like you want to help. And then, all the other parts of you that are just that just walk past and you're just like no and if they start talking to you you're like Meh. and you just no and you just walk past and then there's people that try to help and you're like you're not supposed to do that they're gonna buy drugs just all those emotions and just screaming i don't care after everything i said it just yeah it was cathartic in its own way but it's i don't know it's crazy it was a crazy feeling like i said it's a crazy feeling feeling to just scream that into a microphone in front of people's faces i, I <laughs> I don't really care at all. Uh, it was like, good. Yeah. I like it. I either. catharsis. Yeah, man. I mean, had you had you done much like screaming and stuff like that on your original material before stuff like that? Uh, no, man. The whole my whole approach to singing was um, definitely some of it came from you and and starting to work with you, but it, it mostly kind of happened because a couple of producers had reached out to me because of stuff they saw on YouTube, you reached out to me. And then a dude named um, Pat Callahan from Cedar reached out to me. We started working together and I realized that the way I was singing, I couldn't continue to do it. Like I would sing like three or four songs and my voice would start to go. And I remember now when those early uh, couple demos that I sent you, I was singing the same way too, that I couldn't sustain. And uh, so I, I had to completely kind of, figure out how to sing for real and along with that i wanted to figure out how to scream for real um i think when people send you heavy music and, and you're excited about it and stuff it doesn't always elicit this screaming response but it it's just kind of something that if you feel like fucking upset and it makes you feel upset you want to be able to express it you don't want to have to back up and be like i'll just sing falsetto over this because i can't scream yeah so i'm not a very angry guy so it's not always my first response but yeah it's just musically i love it and i I love musically too when when they're screaming but it's got notes to it i don't like it just to be chaos you know yeah that's the kind of like phil Anselmo, uh you know chester Chester bennington to a certain degree that you know putting a lot of grit on a on a melodic vocals so that's some of my favorite favorite stuff and i think it's probably one of the hardest things to do singing whether whether it's rose or uh trying to think who else all you know uh ben sevenfold that you know uh matt from ben sevenfold he yeah. has a really gritty gritty thing i'm into it well listen brother i think yeah, man. we've really covered a lot and now at, the, at this end of this we actually got a little more juice juice out of the uh the lemon there so that's exciting i like that i but, prefer that as well juice from lemons yes gotta get gotta, <laughs> gotta make some lemon lemons. gotta get that juice Well, I hope you enjoyed our time with Sterling R. Jackson, lead vocalist of Vegas Nerve and very talented gentleman. You should check out his 
covers record that just came out, Reflections Part One. And he has another album. Well, actually, another band called Philo Taxis. Check that out. He has two albums out, and then he has a record called Cosm with the old bass player from Vegas Nerve, and that's great too. He's a very, very pro- prolific gentleman, and hopefully, we can start working on some new tunes very soon. So we only have one more song left. If you're still with us, thank you so much for listening to the whole show. And last but certainly not least, we have Mr. John Berklin, the drummer from Bad Wolves, formerly of Devil Driver. And, you know, I guess this is his third appearance on the program. And we're going to be talking about the Bad Wolves song entitled Better Off This Way, which you'll hear when we get into it that it w- it started out as a Vegas Nerve song, at least musically, and eventually we 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 made it work for, for Bad Wolves. So I'm not gonna talk too much now. Excuse me, I'm <clears throat> good lord. See 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 professionals would cut that out. Knock dot coil. Mm-mm. I leave all the warts in. But I won't belabor the point. Anyway, here's better off this way and after that You'll have, and it, by the way, it came. It is on the album Nation, the most recent Bad Wolves album. And after that, me and John Berklin are gonna mix it up. Check it out.
time. John Berklin, welcome back for the th third time on the X-Man show. And this is a special episode. And we're kind of going through back through my career, some of my favorite songs I've worked on. And this one is called Better Off This Way from Badwell's album Nation. And Whoa. you were very instrumental with this track because the background on it, it was a Vegas Nerve song. I wrote it for the intentions of, with that band and it was very different. And I remember I sent you, I guess two versions of it. I sent you like an a met like a, a electric guitar metal version or whatever rock version with drums, and then I sent you an acoustic version. Yeah, I remember all this. And so, like, how? So, let me just like, what? What? How did you kind of interpret that first hearing it, and then kind of working on it with Max? Um, all I remember first off is you had played me this in some sort of progression before and I knew I loved it, you know? Yeah. It's just like one of those progressions where you're like, it's perfect. <laughs> like, you know, like there's nothing wrong with it. Like, can't fuck with that at all. Like, um, and I didn't know you were going to send two things. And then it, it was so immediate to me at first. Like, I just, we listened to both, me and Max. And I said, oh, we got to start this off with the acoustic and then slow. And then we like kind of judged the BPMs and like, oh, they're like dead on. And it was, oh, this is amazing. It's just, it was like a light bulb easy. Like it didn't take any thought. It was just like, oh, it's got to start acoustically. And then this is where everything becomes very different. We created this, this version of this song that got beat to hell by Tommy Vex and Joseph McQueen. Um, you know, where I really still think the song is incredible, but I still think the song could have been such a bigger statement. However, it's not really nice to trash on your own stuff, but it got stripped back down to a very kind of A, B, A, B, A, B out kind of situation. Um, and it's still an incredible piece. Um, I just always envisioned it more of our, like, going to be our November rain. And it kind of became uh, much smaller than that. But it's still amazing. And I'm not here to say that anybody else who chopped it apart was right or wrong. Um, and now it's turned into a duet. So uh, it's come a long way. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it kind of speaks to the evolution of material, right? You're, you're someone who, this happened with this song, but you've had a lot of songs that started as one thing and then evolved into something kind of completely different over the course of time and just right. hands, hands getting, getting on it. And, and me... So the thing interesting about this is it's, it's the simplest song I've ever written. So there's only two parts and it's really like two chord progressions and they're not in the grand scheme of things. They're not overwhelmingly unique. I'd, I'd say as far as like the history of rock music or anything, but, but it's just to me, they, to me they sound unique. Um, yeah. I, you're, it's unique in my opinion. Well, no, um, the only reason why I say that is, is just to say that, it, the, the song coming together on my end was a challenge to myself about how could I compose something that feels like a full song where I'm not doing too much. So it was kind of, even before anyone touched it, I felt it was already kind of an achievement on my end because I, I really, I was really confident in it. But so the, the version you guys first did was essentially a mashup of, the acoustic version and then the kind of more metal version and then after that happened the version that the first version of it was kind of 
actually a little more rock than what ended up on the album because then there was because there's actually another version that's more pop than the album. no there is a pop version i actually just this kind of made my brain come back i remember tommy was like this can't be this like second remember we build into the second verse and it went to this full-blown different level tommy brought it back to him you can't go there and then so then we spent time on taking your guitar parts and making them keyboard sounds like yeah so before there yeah, they're still there. So it's like when you think, um, if the listener knows the song, the second verse, like it used to be like, tick -tick 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 you know, it used to be like a heavier musy. It wasn't even, no, actually, here's what it was. I, to me, it was right. It was, it was kind of, I borrowed really three things. So it was like a, it was a muse style chord progression with a Gojira rhythm. And the, the drum beat, the original drum beat, I literally just stole from jay-z jigga what okay so that's literally what it what it so so you know that one uh gojira song yeah. like like i forget the name of yeah like that it wasn't like that's what i was trying to do it just that was the feel that i was like connecting to or whatever but i was trying to do that feel in a very mellow way like to me it didn't sound metal it just sounded like a cool riff with you know a, a melodic approach to something that was more heavy and more focused on rhythm and but actually taking that to explore melody yeah it's um yeah it's one of those things that makes you feel happy and sad at the same time and then jumping to vocals i remember me and brandon salmon's it came together pretty pretty easily. The chorus. I was with you when when I was when you, I was there when you when we when you wrote the chorus. Was it the chorus? I just remember coming up with certain like kind of like dun dun day dun dun day, and you were yeah. like, "There it is, right there." And I was like, yeah. "Okay." And then, like I just remember it was like it came together rather quickly, and um, that line like "better off this way" just really struck a chord with me. Yeah, I mean, it's it was it was cool being being a part of it because, you know, for people who don't know, this guy Brandon Salmon, singer songwriter, works on a lot of the Bad, Bad Wolves material with us. Uh, he was a, he was the original singer of the band. Like for those who don't know, this band used to be, you know, uh, it was Brandon as, as a singer and Max Karen as a guitar player, and then they both decided they didn't really want to be in the band. But that kind of most of the first record was done with that kind of unit of that, and so we continued that intonation. And then as we kind of find our ways, it's kind of, it's, things change now, you know, it's like, I don't know where I'm going with that, but um, it's been a wild ride with how this band writes songs and what it's turned into. So um, it's, uh, I can't really see where it goes next. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, so like you said, so the riff ended up being a keyboard part. And so what these motherfuckers did, this shit really pissed me off. So they did a version <laughs> of it where the riff wasn't in the song until the solo. And I'll tell you guys, this is my, might be my favorite solo I've ever written, ever. Like it's still the solo from the demo because I pretty much played it perfect. I was like, I'll never play it that is cool. Is it really? Yeah, it's from my original demo. And I'm like, I'll never play it that cool again. Don't even try, just leave it as is. And I, I, I use this really crazy, there's actually a crazy uh, guitar effect. There's a, like a harm like a harmonizer on it like a octave harmonizer so it has this real and i was actually ripping off 
uh, see again, tell you who I'm ripping off, or I was inspired by Baroness, where they would do this thing where they'd have a lead, but then they have a keyboard part following it. So I don't think you guys ever use my keyboard part, but that made probably sound better. And I, I use the arpeggiated chord. So I had a different approach to it. I'm like, why are you going to waste a riff over a solo when we're supposed to be yeah, paying that's like, The band has a lot of problems when it comes to doing the, the ballads. I always want to see like a more progressive ballad. And I think Tommy really likes to see the, the simple structure which really seems to work at radio. So yeah, it's but like, this isn't a structure thing. This is just, it's the same part. Just, it's like a, like I said, it's a wasted riff. It's yeah, I know, riff. I know what you mean. Like when I say it's a, it's like, they always had problems with this song in particular. No one in the band, like you, me, you and me got on the same page with the song for a bit, but with the producer uh, and Tommy, we could never really, we never ever did get on the same page. Well, I liked it. So there was I wanted a, it to drop on the solo and like, yeah. you know, like I, I wanted that riff in there and I wanted it to be that way. It's like, and at one point I got worn down so much, I gave up and I said, I'm done. Well, <laughs> I, well so I, I liked, there was a version of it, kind of like a quote unquote hard rock version of it previous to this that I liked a little more than the final, but I was fine with the way it ultimately ended. I, I liked the other one a little better because it, it did some things with the, electronic drums I liked a little more that built in a certain way. Um, but the thing is, I never actually got to hear this, the vocals with the heavier version, the original kind of more metal epic version. We've never actually- it never got done. It like had the demo vocals, um, but it never really got done that way. It's when it got bought up, I, I think what happened was I saw it to be a bigger thing. And I think you did as well. And I think, Tommy and Joseph saw this as something that would is just a smash, pretty easy slam dunk at radio if you just don't try and get too crazy with it. And uh, and that that that's where like you know things were were never really quite resolved with it. But at the end, it's one of those things when I step away, I can listen to it now and I'm completely happy with. And um, uh, every there's everybody's right and everybody's wrong on this one. That's how I kind of look. <laughs> yeah, um, I listen to me. It's not always about right or wrong it's just different and what your goals yeah. are track because you know my whole thing was the likelihood you're going to get a song like this to be on pop radio or something like that is so small trying yeah. to make it sound like a pop song so that you can cater to that just seems like a faulty effort and so just make the song you want to hear as opposed to like trying to make it for someone else you know but i i you know i brought up the idea i would still like to do a remix version where we do put the vocals on the original way it was just to kind of hear how it sounds yeah not um, because i even think it'll be better i don't even know but it should be interesting to hear it as an experiment yeah i, I, know, I know it would have a, a lot of stank and, and it'd be fun but like i think you'd have to re-sing the second verse and like i just don't think we're going to go down that road like you know because when the energy comes in with the heaviness, like it have to be like, it couldn't be so, so airy. Um, it's a different experience, but I definitely grab people like people who aren't metal fans that are, that are in my friend circle and stuff. When I play that, like it instantly when the, you know, it instantly grabs me like, oh man, that's fucking good. And then I don't know, I'm usually drunk at that point when I'm playing for someone, but like, they're just like, yeah, that's fucking dope. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah. And a lot of, it's, just talking about songwriting in general, it's like um, this band has a far reach outside of the metal world, you know, more rock. And um, 
when what this band started out to be is so different. And I think it's it's due to a lot to what everyone's kind of contributed and turned morphed and against my wants at times this band has become less heavier, you know, but also it's just as challenging, if not ten times more challenging to write a fucking song that isn't technical. Um, you know, like Lars said about the black album, it's ten times harder to write a black album than it is uh, adjusted. You know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, when we were doing uh, no masters and I was like helping with the vocals on the, the, the verses, it's like you really have to craft every kind of syllable matters. Yeah. And every like, okay, the, the vocal is going to swoop up to this note or even with the riff, I remember we were doing, we have a song that's not even out yet, but we wrote it for Nation that we call Donnie Dohans <laughs> for now. Donnie Dohans. Uh, but we, we were, I was trying to write a Black album style verse. Um, and actually, I kind of did the same thing with No Masters, where you the, originally the verse in No Masters was just the the, the main riff. And I yeah, was, we, we saw that that wasn't working pretty quickly. No, we didn't see. Doc Cole came in there and said, yo, we need to fucking spice this. this we need to make a verse riff that's popping. And then we made it pop. And we, it was, it was pop, you know, all that shit. But anyway, so I was trying to do the same thing. And it was just a, it was crazy how much work it took to just, it was like a puzzle of like making something simple that has a groove, but is also not, you're not just ripping off another riff. Yeah. Um, Cause Dohan song that no one's heard yet. Um, may never. Uh, but Don't yeah, I love that song. <laughs> oh, um, after, you the, after the solo I did for that, that's just going to hit the streets. Yeah, that's a good that's a good song. Uh, and it was really fun to watch. I just remember that song didn't come into full shape until you came into play. You came in and you kind of did exactly what you kind of did in No Masters. You're like, we need a we need a different approach on this verse. Yeah. If fucking Obama does Oh uh, look, uh, I think this uh, verse could be a bit better. Actually, yeah. Well, no, honestly, I think it's that you know, you're probably like me, where I just the black album and like countdown to extinction are just so burned in my brain of like, <laughs> how do you write a really catchy four on the floor riff that kind of works rhythmically where vocals can kind of get around it, but there's enough melodic structure so that you can compose hook. And like, oh, and if yeah. you listen to almost everything we wrote for Dohans specifically, everything verse wise seemed to work pretty well. It was more of the pre-course was fucking us up, but yeah, I think I got, I think I fixed that like a couple weeks ago. Though. No, I know, I know that, I know we got the pre-course. I like when we're talking about a song no one's even heard, so like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, Thanks. it's a little off basis, but yeah, I have a big fear about my attachment to the Countdown Extinction and the Blackout Two when writing, thinking that that kind of music can still survive without sounding like now Godsmack or Five Finger Death Punch, and I'm like, you know, it's just it's but I want to write songs like that. I really do. And well, I don't think I do it. I'm like, Oh, it's not nearly as cool as I thought it was. Well, I, well, like I said, me, me and you, it's interesting considering where we started from. Like I started from super technical underground band and you came, you started with a band that was started a little more simple and then got more technical. And now you look at this now and I'm the one always trying to simplify. And I think you're like always trying to like let the musicianship flex and so that's like kind of when when we get into it but i think that's fine because 
it's just it's good to have some tension between like not like actual tension like being mad at each other but just a push and pull of okay let's like sometimes i hear if i do something where i write everything i think sometimes it can get a little dull because my whole mindset is to make everything sound clean and and have it fit whereas you think a little bit more abstract and so like another new song that's not out that that one we were, we were working on where you were kind of saying my my main riff is a little late sleepy like that whole pre-chorus section it gets real busy and it's like if that if it wasn't for you that probably wouldn't happen but it made it, it makes it more interesting and it makes it pop more yeah songwriting is a bitch and it's songwriting is a real bitch when you're writing like mid-tempo like rock it's like hard to be like aerosmith and shit like keep it legit keep it you know they even had their run of fucking just fucking cheesy shit um yeah but yeah. it's but but i think that's i honestly think that's what separates the medium level bands and the massive bands like what made Avenged sevenfold that big was kind of leaning into the like you listen to city of evil they have shit on there that literally sounds like it could be on cryptic writings like for sure the- I, that was the first thing i mean i heard about them with city of evil when i really listened to that front to back like i was like dude these guys like negatives i could tell like yeah. you know like and when i would look at a picture of them you know like i'm judgmental and shit i'm like look at these guys like they're on whoop tour they're probably not heavy like and i like fucking a like i this guy named harlan fry who works at runner he's like dude you're an idiot like you gotta listen to this band called i mean listen to this album called city evil like he's like it's like they're the new guns and roses bro and i was like okay and i like, heard it and i was like well fuck was right like yeah. i was like no ants on it but I, but here's the thing. I don't even to me it was the album after that, the self-titled, where they really found their stride because on City of Evil they were still busy. The songs had a lot going on, and they learned to just take a step back and just they learn how to groove on that record. And I think that's what Five Finger does. What you know, you mentioned Godsmack. I, I don't know if I don't I haven't listened to them enough to really know what their kind of formula or whatever uh, is. I like no disrespect, Godsmack can write has a couple like things that are really good in my, to my ear and then sometimes i'm like that sounds really lazy yeah. um and i would love to tour with you guys don't worry about it like oh yeah you know, like, well no i don't, I don't want to like, call it that like i think i'm better or whatever it's just like um sometimes i'm just like does that really work for everyone and like and, and it does and well, no but what i'm saying is i, I do think a lot of bands are afraid of it there's actually there's actually a new song the hate read record that has like a real like a four on the floor type of groove that's like a metal version of it though where it's like yo hate breed almost like something like a monomarth would do but it's on a hate breed song and it's like but it shows a confidence like yeah we're we're ready to write these riffs for vakin you know what i'm saying it's like a certain confidence to to do that shit yeah i agree it's like event sevenfold does it very well um but yeah, back to like Better Off This Way. It was, I knew it was a great song the moment I heard it. And it was very easy to puzzle together for the most part. And then it was all the changes that made it difficult and disagreements. But in the end, it's still great and could have been something else great too. You know, it's like just, uh, if, what's the lesson here? If you just have the foundations of fucking the right hooks, everything else will come together. have it that is the conclusion of part two of doc coil's favorite slash most interesting slash 
I don't even know, just cool songs that I've been had the fortune to be a part of throughout my career in the music business. It's been it's been a long, long time coming. I want to thank Corey Pierce, Byron Davis, Dallas Coyle, Sterling R. Jackson, John Berklin, and shout out to John Alcalt who could not make it. Next time, love all these guys. I'm I'm I have this I guess way of, of looking at things when it comes to bands in a very romantic way, you know, to me, anytime you're in a band with someone, it's like that's that bond that's just there forever. It just is what it is. Once once you put the time in, you get on stage, you you you're like a Voltron or some shit, you know? And uh and so because of that, there'll always be the the family element is always really important to me. So this is really fun and and people seem to really enjoy last week's episode and i hope you guys enjoyed this one as well as you can see the songs kind of get more into the rock era and rock genre as it as it develops but such is life such is life things change and i'm and i'm i think that's awesome you know to evolve and keep moving and keep doing different things but it all seems to make sense hopefully to all of you guys as as listeners so thank you for taking this journey with me i don't really have anything else to talk about right now i'm i'm very tired. It's been a long day. Like I said, a long week and many long weeks and months to to come up. And uh, you know, hopefully things will be looking looking up. But you know, it's it's definitely I, I wish I could right now I could be like, here's what's gonna happen, it's gonna be great. I don't know. I'm in a I don't know phase. And I and I don't know if that's good. Maybe I don't know phase isn't isn't good. Maybe I should be just this is what it's going to be. I don't know. Or maybe it's just how I'm feeling right now. Maybe I'm just having one of those days. And that, and that's okay too. Some days you're saying, nobody likes you. You're going to lose. Smile, you fuck. That's actually Bruce Willis from The, the Last Boy Scout. <laughs> Joe Hollenbeck. All right. Some days are Joe Hollenbeck. All right. And you're questioning yourself. And some days you're Bruce Willis in another movie where he's feeling himself. I'm trying. I was trying to think one off the top of my head. It just didn't come to me. I mean, I guess he was pretty confident in Die Hard, right? He killed 873 terrorists over the course of like five movies, four movies. I don't even know how many. Yeah, I think it's five now. I only acknowledge the first three. After that, I don't, I don't pay attention. All right, y'all. All right, y'all. Your boy's out. Mamba's out. Mamba's out. Mamba's out. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel 
They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.